welcome to The Big Deal, where we unlock the details and drama behind the business of sport in Australia and around the world. Join me, Warren Treadray, along with Andrew Montessi and our expert guests as we take you into the boardroom for behind-the-scenes access and analysis of contracts, negotiations, endorsements and much more. Subscribe to our show on your favourite podcast player and don't forget to sign up to www.thebigdeal.au for a weekly wrap of the latest deals, breaking news and many more exclusive opportunities. G'day everyone and welcome back to another episode of The Big Deal. I'm Jack Hudson and joining me as always is AFL legend Warren Treadray. Treaders, how are you mate? I'm good, Hutter. How are you? Good. Week in Perth, saw some wrestling, happy days, spent a lot of oh, money. Give us a spell. <laughs> Mate, you just lost credibility on this podcast. Hey, you were, you were telling me while I was over there, you used to enjoy watching the wrestling in between uh, training sessions. Mate, I put it on. It was like, I love I love golf, right? Yeah. But my equivalent, the wrestling with Oprah, you put it on, it puts you to sleep. It's the only time you can <laughs> recover in between sessions. <laughs> oh, jeez. Well... Fair enough. We'll get stuck in the world of AFL, and obviously it's been a big week with um, concussion issues, um, suspensions, uh, the youngest Brayshaw retirement. There's been a lot going on. We'll start with the Brayshaw retirement. Um, a lot of years left on his contract and seems relatively sudden, um, but yeah, not great. No, it's not great, and this is all off, obviously his recovery from the Maynard incident, and, and I found it really interesting. Some people call him Maynard a thug, and we'll get to Power Pepper soon. Some of the people in social media are just a disgrace, but the reality is Brayshaw had multiple concussions even before that Maynard incident. So he, he was always someone who, you know, he never used to play with a helmet. He played with a helmet um, for a, probably the, God, the last probably five or so years after his early years at Melbourne. Early draft pick, I reckon he might have been number three mm. around yeah. that time when Melbourne was around the bottom. Superstar player, hugely influential in their premiership time. But obviously, um, common test has to prevail here. And uh, whilst he was trying to recover to, you know, come back, uh, it's believed that a brain scan didn't come back as well as he would have hoped after a significant period of recovery. So the league, the AFL, has medically re- retired him. The interesting bit here is he had five more seasons left on a contract. So the Demons uh, obviously did the right thing. Farewell to their premiership player. He got a wonderful tribute from a lot of people. He's a superstar player and borrow report. So I know he's, um, his dad is a ripping fella, um, comes from a very, very good family. But uh, Brayshaw was probably in the case where he could argue maybe to accept a slightly smaller figure. Uh, as a payout, because this talks about, okay, well, if they've signed him for five more years knowing he's had medical um, concussion issues, when there's an element of risk for the Melbourne Footy Club, because they've obviously done their due diligence enough to say he's going to be right, gets one more hit, now you're left on the hook. So who pays this money? Clearly, Melbourne's going to have to pay a majority of it. But in some of the discussions around what um, the AFL has said by them, uh, the AFL, that is, medically retiring the player, then there'll be, I assume, some cap relief. And if we look at the AFL competition over the past few years, um, even rival bosses haven't been quoted, but they've pretty much said there's no set protocol for the league with medical retirements, given most players generally retire. Yeah, And recently, Marcus Adams at Brisbane, um, Paul Seedsman, Adelaide, Paddy McCartan, they didn't have long-term deals. I know Paul Seedsman stayed on the cross um, list last year as a medically retired player, effectively still getting fully paid. Um, whether they, the Crows got some, uh, um, uh, I suppose, compensation in terms of not having all that money out of the salary cap, that's not known. 
Paddy McCartan was a classic, I think, in round three last year against Port Adelaide. It was an errant boot he headbutted uh, on the ground with Todd Marshall. He never played a game again. So I suspect Melbourne will get some cap relief. Um, and I don't think other clubs would have a huge amount of it uh, issue with it because it's really a grey area. So for the AFL to intervene into this case, um, that's probably Melbourne's best chance of getting some uh, cap uh, implications of his deal until 28. But there's an element here too that, you know, and this is why a lot of the situations in AFL club land is, you know, I think it's been documented uh, in the Herald Sun not so long ago, is that anyone who signs long-term deals, they need to be signed off by uh, club committees and then also boards. So the stage that you're not having clubs and players just agree to 10 Barty Franklin deals and when it all goes worse, go back to the AFL cap in hand and say we need some help. Um, so th this is a genuine one. It's got genuine merits um, and, and I don't think anyone in the game would go against probably Melbourne coming back and saying, hey, it, it, this is probably the first precedent in this situation. A long-term mm -hmm. deal player unable to play for medical reasons, the league ruling them out. Because um, clearly the, the the right option is there, Hutto, is he's not medically fit to play footy and for life after footy. And I think the league's done a good job by it, but he's also got a contract and effectively he's an injured player. So that would fall under probably those those injury payments as well. Yeah, so like, was this, will this put clubs off? Well, obviously not because we've seen Jordan Ridley and most recently Harry Sheasel signed long-term deals. Why would this not be sort of a warning to clubs to not sign these players on deals that take them through to the next decade? Yeah, well, this is the, the interesting one. He's probably the, the one outlier in this situation. Mm. I know Port Adelaide um, re-signed Tom Marshall, um, and obviously I'm on their board, but that was uh, agreed to before my time um, in terms of negotiating and stuff. And he'd had a couple of minor concussions last year. So um, I can only assume that clubs would all do their due diligence on this situation. This is the outlier only because he had multiple concussions beforehand. So it's not as clear-cut as saying it's just medically retired and, oh, yeah, the game will take care of it and Melbourne will get looked after. I think there'll be a bit of to and fro because Melbourne signed a long-term deal. But I remember at that time, he left money on the table. Uh, maybe by memory, his brother's club, um, Andrew's club, Fremantle, made a, made a big deal. So when he hadn't had a concussion for multiple years, you go, well, maybe he's up, it's over, it's, you know, you can move on and never get one again. So it's it's really difficult space for, for clubs. And I think this will be the interesting one to sit back and watch and see what is has been rolled out, what will be rolled out, what sort of support the game is going to put behind these situations because, um, yeah, the clubs are right to recontract players and he's a gun player, mm. uh, top echelon player, but... When there's those issues, you got to sit back and, and ask the question. Yeah, there needs to be some sort of consistent plan put in place so it's not just reactive, it's more proactive over time in case these unfortunate incidents further occur. So we'll move on to, um, obviously, the big issue of the weekend. It's obviously really unfortunate timing, but Sound Power Pepper suspended for four rounds of the, open, um, of the AFL season. So, yeah, not great in the same week of um, the concussion issues obviously coming forward. Yeah, well, you got Brayshaw retiring in one instance and then the Power Pepper incident maybe that day or later that day, um, an incident happening. And, and clearly the bit, the only complexity with this is he's going to now miss the next four games for Port Adelaide. He'll miss West Coast, Richmond, Melbourne and Essendon. But um, I don't, from a, a perspective, I wouldn't want to see Power Pepper change the way he plays. I think he plays a wonderful game of footy. But in this instance, I thought there was the potential 
um, obviously before the tribunal hearing where they found it was four matches, that it could be ruled back to three um, because when you send someone to the tribunal, it's three plus. Um, so the the challenge, um, you know, Port Adelaide put up a, a good case and fought this one, but the bit that was a little bit of the grey area for me was is the tackle from Willie Rioli on Mark Keane. So he tackles him, pulls him into Power Pepper's way. Well, the f- tribunal didn't find that, so we move on. You cop your whack and you move forward. Uh, they won't. Uh, I don't think Port Adelaide has said publicly that they've said publicly they won't be putting an appeal in. Um, frustrating to lose such a good player at the start of the season, but as we've discussed before, the concussion issue has been tightened this year. Anyone effectively choosing to bump, collide, anything happens in terms of concussion, uh, there will be a significant penalty. I don't think anyone in the game is against that. Um, but the reality is, I think now from everyone's perspective, and even I saw it on social media from fans saying, okay, if this is the standard, we've set the precedent, let's be consistent. And when it comes to finals time, if a similar incident happens, that person has to be bumped for four weeks. Yeah, and the consistency is probably the fans' biggest gripe. However, I do disagree with fans comparing it to the Brave Maynard incident. One was just, yeah, they're completely yeah, that, that That was an absolute... I, I teed off on Adelaide Radio on that, and everyone was like, "Well, oh, what are you saying? He should get up." No, I'm not saying. I'm saying that people are saying he's a thug. He's a, he attacks the footy. He's in that case, his idea is balls in dispute. I'm a pressure forward. I press up to the contest. A bloke wins the footy. I think the tribunal said 0.06 of a second. He had a chance to react. They had a biomechanist who gave evidence, and I was following some of the updates from one of the Fox journos, and I thought, "Wow, this is interesting. Maybe which way this case will go," but. I think it was Paul Williams, former Collingwood Sydney star, was on the tribunal, and, and they, they deemed to be four games. You know, you cop your whack and you move forward. But as a player, there is no player in the world that's deliberately running 50 metres, pressing out hard to bump a bloke with the footy. No. Power Pepper has only proven, I was at the game, he'd proven four or five times before, he, he I think he won a hold in the ball uh, tackle and kicked the goal inside forward 50 only earlier, uh, slowly, uh, uh, probably half an hour later in the match. So... Yeah, the reality is, if you want to compare those incidents, nothing. And I still don't think Maynard was crude in what he did. He left the ground. He went to smother. Once you miss the ball, you got to land. And he landed right in the bloke's face. And sadly, he's, he's retired. We yeah. can't forget that this game is you know, two hours, high intensity, flat out speed, pressure, full collision, contact sport. Yeah, completely There's agree. going to be accidents and there's going to be grey areas. And Power Pepper got it slightly wrong. It's going to continue for years and upon years. And here's something that might be coming through very soon. Um, mid-season trade period, obviously. Um, some coaches have shared their thoughts, um, and a lot of them are fans of it, by the looks of it. Yeah, it's interesting. This is some of the info rolled out by the uh, AFL.com um, where they have the captain's day, captain and coach's day. So they go for the big promos, uh, promos and hold the cup and do all those sorts of bits and pieces. And obviously the journos run around and get all the questions. But they asked Craig McRae, the running premiership coach from Collingwood, whether he would like a mid-season trade period. Um, he said he's a massive fan and I think the game will be better for it. I don't think there's any losers. I haven't through the I haven't thought through the exact detail of every discussion of what it could be or won't, uh, could, uh, won't be, but he did go on to say he was misquoted through halfway through the period of time uh, last year when he was asked about it. He puts out a full statement, but they're the key, some of the key points from him. Ken Hinckley, poor coach, was asked optimistically. I think it could work. To me, it would be an exciting part of the game, an exciting part of the season, potentially. He, said, he says, simply, if we look at it, it uh, looks like it should work. It should really work. And you've got to go there and say, hey, let's pull the lever or don't. I say, because if you don't, we're not going to know. 
we're only we're only going to sit here and guess. So I like his thinking as to how that could work. Now, obviously, the machinations of salary caps, um, who pays what, portions of pay, opportunity versus draft picks, permanent. You know, I floated um, on this podcast trade periods uh, and loan periods. And, and yeah. I only said that because that's what the English Premier League works with. And they'll fans, no, no, no. It's a, don't knock stuff. Have a discussion. Like, let, let's talk about this. Brad Scott, uh, coach of Essence, says, I'll probably take a step back. I think there's a couple of steps that need to be addressed before that. The fluidity of players' movement needs to open up a bit. He goes, and he, his gripe here is that there's often players who aren't free agents but are coming out of contract trying to dictate what they're doing. Well, I, I get that element from a coach's point of view. You're not a free agent. You can't decide where you want to go. But also, you're out of contract. So you, you effectively can work out where you want to go. And it's up to your club to trade for it. Chris Scott says, oh, oh, we've got a, a difference of opinion internally. So here we are, the well-known cats that can acquire a lot of free agents, a lot of players. You know, won a premiership two years ago simply off the fact of attracting top-end talent, but also players like an Isaac Smith already won three flags at Hawthorne for a longer-term deal and ends up winning a premiership in North, a North Smith medal with Geelong. So here they are. These, these discussions I find really interesting. Now, he talks about how he's had Stephen Wells, best in the business, Andrew Mackey's a rising star in that space. And even to people who live in that space, can't quite explain to me how these contract situations would work. So that was where his concerns would be. But I think we're all uh, uh, in the league are about transparency, mm. more movement, more abilities to leverage, do deals, Um I hope it doesn't get to a case where uh, a player halfway through a quarter gets taken off and gone, you've been traded immediately to Brisbane or somewhere while playing yeah. at Adelaide Oval or the MCG, like we've seen in the NBA at times. Um, but I think the more movement, the more opportunities, maybe greater list sizes, second-tier comps, I think if it improves the space and the game and makes it better and creates more interest, then it can only work for the game. Yeah, completely agree. And we head in the contract situation of what's coming on. Uh, ben King staying at the Gold Coast Suns for two years. So it's not a colossal extension that we've seen around the joint, but until um, 2026, we'll be staying at the Suns and with uh, Dimmer around. I'm sure that's a big tick in faith. Yeah, I think it's good. And clearly, he's not going to go anywhere when Hardwick comes in. He was still contracted, so at least to get another look at it this year. But he's decided to extend it uh, by a couple of years. He's already well paid. I think it was reported he was up close to a million bucks with some of the payments he's been getting because... His go-home factor can always lean on as well. But he, in, de, in defence to Ben King, he has never talked about going home. He's always talked about how happy and how much he loves it at mm. the Gold Coast. He's never talked about that, so even though people want him to. Uh, Harry Sheasel from uh, North Melbourne, um, you know, he's actually just signed a, a mega contract extension. When we do the run sheet, mate, it wasn't official, but it's been official by North through the end of 2030. So he was already signed to 2026. He comes off his minimum deal this year because um, second year player, I think by memory. And then, so he'd already signed an extension for two more, 25 and 26. Now he's added another four years to his deal through 2030. So this for me sits back and goes, why do North do it? Well, salary cap goes up like 30 odd percent the next few years. He's going to get paid super money. He's already one of their best players. They're in a transition stage of their list. They want to lock down the young talent, Alistair Clarkson goes, who am I working with? I want this kid, he's a jet. We always see him. My kid, my son Leo, bangs on about him in fantasy because he gets bucket loads of the footy and oh, he yeah, scores he good points. Um, but then I also think from the outside of it, what does it look like? North Melbourne, you wouldn't think it'd be top end, would they, in terms of salary cap? No. 
No, they lose Mackay, they lose a few others, they get a few others in, they're paying their kids. This smells to me like they're probably front-loading his contract, creating a lot of space. Um, they'd be paying him really well. But in the latter half, he's probably going to be levelled out money. So then, then they can keep paying the next batch of young kids as they continue to get uh, outside their two-year thresholds. And that's similar with uh, Jordan Ridley as well. That's... Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's smart. You know, the old days when I played, it was all back-ended salary cap. Give us some help, push us another year out, push us another year out. And I think I've spoken about it on this podcast before, but I remember our arch rival at the time, Brisbane, Michael Voss played the 20, uh, 2006 year, um, not on the footy field, but sat on the list. He, I, my understanding is he earned as much as he had in the other parts of his career, but that was the money he was owed from previous years because they kept pushing money back. <laughs> the funny thing was he was retired and he was commentating for Channel 10 in a commentary box who had the broadcast rights. So front-ending, back-ending, TPP, all these are the bits, the exciting bits behind the scenes where you sit there and go, I'll oh, cut that bit in, cut that bit out. Um, yeah. Front-ending, back-ending deals. Clubs do all things differently. Um, but it's all about trying to keep themselves close to the salary cap and want to spend as much as they can so their their stocks are as good as they are for their coaches. But on the other side, um, you also got to manage your salary cap uh, responsibly. Yeah, no, completely agree. They do, and I, I don't mind the moves. The more I think about it, the way that you've explained it, so through to 2030 to front-end the deals, especially when a club that probably has a bit of a war chest to play with, may as well use it on your own talent. Yeah, and you're not doing it on Johnny Smith, who's, you know, third round pick or fourth round pick or unproven. You're doing it on a dead set jet, um, who's a kid you can see playing 10 plus years in the future. So you push him out, and that won't be his smallest deal. And who knows in these sort of deals, there could be triggers for renegotiation midway through if he's going better than expected or he wins. The best and fairest at North Melbourne, or wins a premiership, or all Australian, all of those sorts of things. Who, who knows what's included? But I think if you're a Kangas fan, strip it back simply and go, this kid's a future, he's a star, and we've got some other gun young players alongside of him. We've locked him away. Great. That's perfect. Not going to lose him. Yeah, and we, we'll go across to WA, and this is one of the more interesting stories going around. So, West Coast champion Peter Sumich, he's at quit his weekly newspaper column at the uh, West Australian. After they refused to publish an article criticising pick one, Harley Reid. So wow. apparently he um, was too hard on the um, the pick one, um, yeah. and he's been, who has been the newspaper's obsession since he arrived in Perth. And it is amazing how much they've actually published on the young fella. I think the quote, um, he it says, it's about 50 days he's been um, at the club. He's been in the paper 40 of those days, which is, and probably back page 20 of it is yeah. wild what they but there was some, to do. But there's some comparisons that were probably a bit unrealistic too, weren't they? Yes. To uh, Chris Judd. Yeah. And I, I probably, I think the other quote that we're actually seeing here from an, an interview that Subic has done is that he did mention he's got a bit of puppy fat. So in the modern world, you're not allowed to call out the truth. So, um, no. yeah. So clearly, you know, he'd written for the paper for what, 18 months. Summer doesn't mess around. Um, and interestingly, you just wonder what sort of backroom deals are being done here because the West Australians owned by Kerry Stokes, who's owned by Channel 7, um, who is the broadcast rights holder. The biggest club arguably in the game is West Coast. Um, <laughs> I think um, between the West Australian and the Seven Network, they lock away both coaches, gun players exclusively, control a lot of that in Perth. And maybe this is a little bit of a phone call to say, hey, 
we don't need any negativity. We're going to sell memberships and we're going to get positivity. Who knows? Maybe they don't. Maybe they do. That wouldn't surprise me. The Harley Reid hype is definitely something that they've been trying to sell for a but, long but, period of time. Yeah, but but on the other side of this, Hunter, which makes it really interesting, is you, you could look around and you go, well, AFL loves polarising opinion. Mm. As long as it's not really detrimental to the game or damaging the game's brand. Well, this article, if we believe what he's quoted to say that it is, it, it's, yeah, called a bit of puppy fatty, he's going to get fitter. Like, it depends how that's sold and what's said and, yeah, they said you can't compare to Chris Judd. Um, he goes, I was at the Eagles in you know when Chris Judd was there. So, yeah, I think he's just bashing down the hype, but that in itself is promoting the game. Yeah, no, I agree. But plus, it's creating talk. You want exactly. an opinion? Opinions are. Okay. I keep saying it. Opinions are okay. Everyone's got one. You're not right or wrong. It's just an opinion. And it would annoy the West Coast fans who would still buy the paper to read it. Yeah, and Freo fans would be going. The, probably the point of laughing <laughs> or they'd just be curious to see some action. And I, and I get it's probably unrealistic focus on a young kid, but as you said, what, 40 out of the 50 days he's been in Perth, he's been on the back page of the paper. I remember I remember seeing some of the reporting when the kid didn't finish training, oh, he's had a stretch with a hamstring and they were doing live updates. Mm. Yeah, yeah, they are. Well, it's because that's all that everyone wants to know because you're taking into account the audience of West Coast fans. You're taking into account of just footy fans, taking into account of um, fantasy and supercoach fans. Like, Harley Reid is a uh, big talking point this year. Yeah, I know. Cr- warm-up, getting through a warm-up, give us a spell. Yeah, but anything, just to set the panic, that'll do it. Yeah. Go to the NRL, and obviously they're off to the US very soon. Um, they've um, done their season campaign launch. Unpredictable, unrelentingly... Uh, that again. Unpredictable, unrelenting, and unmissable. That's, that's a, a lot nice of tongue, That's a tongue twister. So yeah. they've launched their epic ad campaign for 2024. Um, so they've got it narrated by uh, Guy Grantley, who played uh, Carl Williams in the uh, Underbelly series. But um, it's quite different um, to the um, NRL's Las Vegas ad, which is centred around the fact that players don't use helmets or pads and it's just all out carnage. So basically saying, okay, you watch your NFL, now come watch some blokes actually belt each other around without any protection. Well, I don't think anything will be the early 90s, um, simply the best team to turn her. That's oh, yes. why I reckon the NRL was the last time they had the better of the AFL, but the NRL's arguing that they're in a better position than the AFL. And then how's this sort of roll yeah. some of the info? Yeah. Include a record revenues of $700 million, colossal upticks in the distribution for clubs and grassroots. Um... You know, they're saying braining its rivals in TV ratings. Well, the AFL breaks the ratings rule, but they're probably going, well, we've got the finals, which is just as big or slightly smaller, but then we've got that state of origin, which you don't have. So that's a decent argument. The game's record profit of 58.2 million is small fry compared to the minted AFL. Um, crowds are smaller, right? Yep. The AFL does remain top dog in the key metrics of crowds. National footprint still enjoys, let's be honest, it's a cult-like membership with the AFL. You know, mm. it, it's it's tribal. You've got your yep. club and you support them no matter what. And we just touched on West Coast. They can be bottom of the ladder, but they'll still fill out, uh, fill out close to a 60,000-seat stadium in Perth. Mm. Um, yeah, so the problem here is the NRL is actually suffering from the state of their bush footy. So, you know, non, non-CBD footy um, and, and, you know, not 
primetime stuff. So your amateur leagues have dropped off and all that. And despite record injections of revenue, right, the mm. concerns are real because the kids on the Eastern Seaboard are drowning, they're saying, in Auskick footies. So Auskick's going bunter. In terms of participation, um, it's bigger participation in Queensland than it is in South Australia, which is that, unbelievable. That billion bucks is going to come in handy that we spoke about last week. Exactly. But, yeah, so yeah, it's exciting to see um, all going across to Las Vegas, though. Um, so the Rabbitohs travelled three hours a week. Uh, Waterloo Native and Worldwide Superstar wrap out. Kid Leroy on Saturday as well. So yeah. they're getting the big names around the joint. Yeah, and Kid Leroy um, grew up in Waterloo in New South Wales. So he's a Rabbitohs fan. So his own's in their blood. He'll miss the game because he's actually got um, uh, tour dates and concerts to uh, perform at. But he's got 33 million um, monthly listeners on Spotify. So, mm. you know, he talks about why he stoked the US people will get the chance to see the teams play live. He explained, you know, you know where he's come from. He grew up in Housing Commission in South Sydney. Now, this is a guy that's collaborated with some of the biggest names, including Justin Bieber. So, And while that was happening, the Broncos were at the LA Lakers clash with San Antonio Spurs at the Crypto.com Arena over the weekend. Skipper Adam Reynolds, who's the Broncos skipper, uh, met with Lakers legend Magic Johnson, presented him with the jersey. <laughs> no but then worries. there's this. There's also room, and they got on courtside. Um, yeah, all their superstar players were courtside on the court before the game. Rumours around, the NRL is actually trying. How's this pie in the sky? It may Here happen, right? Travis Kelsey, who obviously won oh. the Super Bowl, <laughs> not re- recently, flew out to Sydney to see his lady, uh, Swifty, flew yep. back to Vegas, to Vegas, um, Hawaii or to Vegas to party, I think. They're hoping that they can get him to the game. Obviously, that would mean some cashola. Mm. With that, it opens the door to his just-retired brother, who's an, um, a Super Bowl winner himself. And... Then they're saying because Kelsey's great mates with Patrick Mahomes, there's a chance Mahomes, the three-time Super Bowl winning quarterback, will come with him. <laughs> come watch NFL. If it, happens, if it happens, I will apologize on this podcast. If not, I say pie in the sky. Oh, oh yes. Oh, if that actually happens, it just drags uh, Tay-Tay along to uh, NRL game. Yeah, well, well. there'll be, be a bit more cash for comments for that, I would have thought. Um, oh, good luck. The other, the other bit I find really interesting that I think is more likely to happen is Reese Walsh is talking up a potential NFL move oh. in America <laughs> while his manager is negotiating a $4 million Broncos extension. He's had a contract end of the year. I think he's on about four hundred when he crossed from New Zealand because he was originally in the Broncos, went to New Zealand, played a year or so, then has a young kid in Brisbane, transferred back on about four hundred, took the... Um, yeah, state of origin by storm, Broncos by storm, and they fell just short in that grand final of Penrith last year. But he, he's up for at least a million, 1.1 a year, they're saying, uh, on an extension once this year finishes. But he would be a perfect move. Um, yeah, if you talk about NRL players in the past that have um, you know, gone and converted to play NFL, one's in jail at the moment uh, in mm. Sydney, um, I think Reese Walsh probably fits the, the bill better than all of them. That's a hell of a uh, hell of some sort of negotiating power. Yeah, the NFL's interested. Um, yeah, cash up. It's not the worst negotiating power to have in the world, is it? Well, there's plenty going on at the moment, Hutto, because you just touch on there. But BBL expansion, and I don't know how Australian oh, yes. cricketers are taking on New Zealand in the Test at the moment, and have finished obviously had a, had a wonderful year. 
retain the Ashes, won both um, uh, series, at, well, retained all the series at home. Um, but the big thing is, uh, Ken, you know, after we cut back the Big Bash to some shorter franchise, less games, uh, sorry, not franchises, uh, shorter games in terms of how many games they played in this new TV deal. I think it worked really well off the summer they had. You know, teams form didn't go too long. Interest was high. The talk now is for the first time since the inception of the Big Bash, what, eight or nine years ago, um, that they could bring in teams or a team. Canberra, New Zealand, right, and maybe even somewhere in Asia, Singapore or the like. So hear me out, right? So Singapore yep. and Jakarta are touted as a potential, right? And this is probably the most unlikely version, um, expansion locations for the untapped Asian market, right? Canberra is the firm favourite early days, right? Yep. So they want the, the ninth franchise should Cricket Australia make a bold decision to expand. But there's also the thought that you can actually think outside the square because you look at all the other IPL teams, they're all independent ownerships. The Big Bash, yep. aren't. They're, they're owned by the states, effectively. SACA owns the licence to, to the Strikers, and Victorian Cricket have got both the licences to the Renegades and to the Stars. So they're talking like the Indian Premier League juggernauts like the Chennai Super Kings or Mumbai Indians have got teams all over the world, and they would love and jump at the opportunity to get involved in the Big Bash and buy a league or buy a team. So that's where Cricket Australia is identified. Potentially, Indonesia is the fourth most populous country, right, mm-hmm. as a prime opportunity for growth in the game, given it doesn't really have a major national sport outside of soccer, their football. So yes. New Zealand's another opportunity too. So let's have a listen here about where things are at. Like Canberra could enter the league as early as two summers' time when the Ashes rolls into town. They've got the backing of the uh, ACT government. David mm-hmm. Pocock, former rugby player, is uh, is in politics there. ACT cricket influential chairman Greg Borer is uh, is behind the proposal but Cricket Australia is not going to expand unless it's convinced that the ninth team is going to be financially sustainable right and ticks the box mm-hmm. the case against is that they're not part of the five city metro TV ratings for free to air right, right. they're in court in the regional right whilst it will still give you reach it won't just boost your numbers for selling perspective into the into the metros I don't think that's a huge thing because eyeballs are eyeballs, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and they're saying it's not really able to make a huge amount of money with only a gate at Monica of 12,000 people. That, Cricket yeah, Australia, New South Wales, right? Also against the move because they think this would diminish their playing stocks because they hold two licenses each, as we know, two in yep. Sydney, two in Victoria. And the Sydney teams also play home games there. But Super League Rugby and the A-League and NBL have all struggled with financial sustainability over the expansion. But how's this? Mm-hmm. It's cost-effective for broadcast to operate out of Canberra and like um, the ground because the TV will have a smaller venue, it'll look packed as opposed to having a big venue that looks empty, right? So it look as good. But also, too, their big wigs and their major tenants – Right, even though they stayed at, I think it's called Bruce Stadium many years ago, they might have rechanged it a few times. Uh, the Raiders in the NRL have the most members, have more members than most clubs, right, in the NRL. And it's understand that both the Raiders and ACT Brumbies, which play out of Bruce, the old Bruce Stadium, are supportive of Big Bash because they think the new venture will mutually be beneficial for winter sports and summer sports in terms of driving fan content and working together. New Zealand, there's doubt about expanding New Zealand, right, over Canberra. 
but it has the potential to bring in more eyeballs to the big bash, right? But what happens yeah. is Sky New Zealand pitches in about $30 million a year to the NRL's broadcast rights due to the uh, New Zealand Warriors playing in the NRL in the Australian competition. And whilst insiders say that this contra agreement you know, for a trans-Tasman big bash would be less, it would still mean Sky would kick in between 7 and $10 million in TV money into the market. But obviously, they'd want their fair slice of the pie. So yep. New Zealand chief executive... Scott Wienick uh, has told um, some of the Mastheads reporting that the only grounds that they would enter the organisation would be if they had two teams. So, I, I can see that. Yeah, yeah, Auckland, Christchurch, or probably have a team each or whatever, because they've also got their own big bash, which would be detrimental. And that is a fair level below. But I actually don't mind the New Zealand option. We've seen it in the NBL. Yes, it's had some challenges over the time, but now they're very, very strong and they're, they're good business plans and great support. And and, and maybe yeah, they've been successful over the journey too. And titles, the local yeah. fans get behind it. The Singapore and Jakarta option is, you know, they're, they're effectively the positive is there's 200,000 cricket participants in Indonesia. <laughs> cricket bosses see it as massive potential, particularly for the women's game. If the massive country, you know, right on our doorstep can be properly engaged, right? Facilities, a bit of a roadblock. Where are you going to play cricket in Jakarta or Singapore on the right size oval? But if there's a long-term plan and government funding, then and enough resources behind it, you can pretty well fix that. But the other challenge is with that, you'd probably want support from uh, privatisation. Um, and, and so far, as we mentioned before, Cricket Australia has resisted the privatisation of Big Bash. Um, other than the fact that the leagues are owned by the current cricket, um, what do you say? Bodies, yeah. Uh, bodies in every state. So, yeah. Yeah, there's even consideration that, you know, the England Cricket Board uh, has given consideration to private investment for their IPL franchises and their 2020 or the 100 competition. And some have even floated too that, hey, why don't we bring together England? So we play, they play, send out a couple of teams in January and we send a couple of teams over in July in their tournament. But I think that's a little bit too missy, um, wishy-washy. But I think growth is good. Canberra and for New Zealand are the options. Canberra could be the big one straight up. But let's face it, if, it, if it's going to work and, and the fans are going to drive it and they're going to rock up, then the world's your oyster. But the, the biggest challenge is they saw many years ago with the Singapore Slingers in the NBL. Remember that? It was the travel. Oh, yeah. 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 The travel. You know, and how many teams we've even seen it at the NBL where I think the Adelaide 36 has played two games in 72 hours and had to spend 40 of it in, a, in, a, in an airport. Yep. Um, you, you, if you're going to do this New Zealand thing, you'd, you know, Perth are playing in New Zealand, you, you'd want a schedule that works and you'd also want to be able to hire private planes um, on behalf of the competition so it doesn't affect performance. But hey, it's a good problem to have. I think the two New Zealand bid isn't the worst idea creates that yeah. rivalry as well. We're about to see that in the A-League coming with um, the new Auckland team as well, which is bankrolled. So that seeing like those comparisons as well, Wellington Phoenix have notoriously struggled, nearly lost their license a few years ago. The Breakers, while being successful, have also had their troubles. So they have to get it right. And I think a two-team method could be the best option for yeah. the Big Bash if they go down the New Zealand path. But let's move on to tennis. So Gordon Thompson. He's got a win after his uh, a decade after his Grand Slam debut at Melbourne Park um, with his maiden ATP Tour title in Mexico, defeating three-time Grand Slam oh Grand Slam runner-up Casper Rudd. So how good's this? 
This was amazing, but it doesn't stop for him, Hutto, because his work wasn't complete. He returned to the court mm. and lost Cabos, right, after his trophy ceremony with his fellow Australian, Max Purcell, yep. to win the doubles semi-final, right? And then he backed up and won the final. Oh, jeez. So all of a sudden, as he, he's won his maiden singles title, and then he's coming clinched uh, the doubles title. Uh, it's amazing. Fun. And talk about this for a nice little handshake. We've seen bigger handshakes in professional sport. For a guy that's sort of on the fringe, <laughs> and I think he's, what, the second-ranked player behind Alex Dimonor for Australia at the moment. Um, and he's the first man since Nick Kyrgios in Washington, D.C. two years ago to clinch both the singles and doubles at an ATP tour event. He pockets 212000 for his singles triumph. No worries. And he and... Uh, Purcell split another 74,000 for winning the doubles. Take that. Good. Quarter of a mil for a, for a tournament. You take that and run with it. But yeah, yeah well, no, it's, no, um, it's no different to this one, though, Hutto. Oh. Basketball. <laughs> I love how we go from a sport like we talk about like someone doing well ATP tennis. Yeah. Then we yeah. go LeBron. <laughs> yeah. Well, how's this? LeBron's sinking a multi year deal with the Lakers in the summer. Multi- At the moment, he's 38. Right, he wants a yeah. two to three year deal, and this is the bit that I think's ridiculous. Yep. He's asking, he wants the max contract of sixty million per year. Now I know everyone says you got to get paid, you got to get paid, mate. This bloke's got paid. Yeah, he's, he, he's they reckon paid. he makes half of what two hundred million a year in private sponsorships. Jeez. Yeah, I know he was Beats before they were sold out. He got a small share to promote there, made a fortune. Nike lifetime athlete. Yeah, he probably does everything. Over there, right? But he'd be 42 at the end of his contract. The thing that I find really funny, right? Yeah. And this is the classic to anyone that says a tweet. Don't delete it. Just own it. <laughs> Apparently, LeBron, Stephen A. Smith has called him out. And I saw the same thing and thought, wow. Um, this was a tweet that was written on the 3rd of June. Uh, in 2023, 27 million views, right? Yep. 11:43 at night. Yep. Been reposted eight and a half thousand times, seven and a half thousand quotes, and 124 thousand likes. <laughs> and from LeBron James' uh, Twitter handle or X, as they call it, man, Bronny, who's his son, definitely better than some of these cats I've been watching on League Pass today. Shit. Lightweight, hilarious, with four laughy faces. No pressure. Right? Yeah, no pressure, so, son. <laughs> right, yeah. So, and we all know that he's effectively negotiating with anyone to say, "Hey, I could pick up my option with the Lakers, but I want a whole new one, and I, and I want you to draft my kit." He's pretty much said that, mm. right? So then, when NBA Central, the the Dunk Central, sends out a tweet on the twenty sixth of uh, February this year. Report, ESPN has removed Bronny James from its 2024 mock draft. Now projects him to be selected in 2025. LeBron James retweets with a quote. Can you all please let the kid be a kid and enjoy college (laughs) basketball? The work and results will ultimately do the talking, no matter what he decides to do. If you all don't know, he doesn't care what a mock draft says. He just works. Earned, not given. That's a bit of a change in tune over the nine months. Oh, mate, talk about hypocrite. (laughs) Uh, like, I get you You want to support your son when I help your son and 
by all reports, people are saying he's trying to create an, an opportunity for his son to do well, which every family member would love to do anyway. But you can't put him out there and say, I watch my son better than these what lightweights on league pass, which is NBA players, and then say, give the kid a break. He's the one that's caused the issues and caused the focus. Yeah, he's put the pressure on And for an extremely him, private yeah. person in his own family, you're the one that broke ranks and you're the one that brought more, more to it. Put more pressure on your kid <laughs> to succeed. Yeah, yeah. now nah, not smart by uh, LeBron, but I do love when a good old tweet gets uh, undone by yourself. It's always good. Now, on the other side of LA, the Clippers unveiling a massive rebrand, part of a new era for the team. There's new uniforms, colors, and a uh, two billion dollar advantage, just quietly. And just got the image, and we'll put this in the. Uh, Wrap that gets sent out as well. This is I like gorgeous. It. it is I like gorgeous. It. Gorgeous. That's a beautiful. That that is beautiful. <laughs> honestly, oh, that is a beautiful uniform. I didn't think I'd hear you say a basketball top looks gorgeous. I think it looks good. Looks good. Yeah. I'm happy with yeah. that. Yeah. Um, but the the, the, the owner, who is one of the owner, the owners of the Clippers, the name escapes me, um, was one of the. Um, owners of Microsoft back in the day. So this new stadium, I saw a fly through what they're planning on doing. They said they don't want you to, um, along the lines of not be out of your seat for more than 10 minutes to be able to get your food. Um, you use a card, you can pre-order your food, you deliver, everything's, even the toilets, they've got so many extra toilets than any other stadium because they want people in their seats experiencing it. So even if you want to go out the back and get food, it's pre-ordered, you pick it up, it's all there. When you order, they make it. So that their whole plan was you'd be able to go in a break, right, and not be gone for more than 10 minutes. And that includes going to do your makeup if you're a huddo, do your, uh, get your food, do your number twos or ones, and then be back for the experience. It, it's unbelievable. Yeah, that's bloody impressive. But they're, they're doing some good things. But, yeah, that is a whole re- uh, good rebrand, long thought out. It looks good. I'm sure fans are probably happy with it. It does... It looks sensational. Yeah. We'll uh, go... Steve Ballmer. Steve Ballmer's the guy. Yep, Steve Ballmer. We'll go to the NFL. And uh, salary cap, Curtis, has gone up again. Um... Yes, yeah, surprise, surprise. <laughs> Another spike. Each franchise, they're uh, allotted um, $255.4 million, which is a $30 million increase for each team. And that's so... in US dollars too. And, and partially yeah. this money it was obviously the cap spike, which is partially due to media revenue and the final COVID deferments um so obviously they did they what they had to do to keep the game alive uh, i found it interesting too everton we smacked them and said oh well they're going to be stuffed they're going to go down how's this they've appealed and the everton deduction for um living outside financial fair play has only re- been reduced by four points so they're only now losing six points from their score this year so the premier league statement confirms it was 10 it immediately moves um luton town into the relegation and moves everton from 17th out of relegation to 15th, and now they're five points shy of the drop. So um, they're a chance to survive. Yeah, no, they're in a very good position to survive. A bit stiff on Luton, but the whole the whole situation is still very confusing with this whole financial fair play thing. But yeah, because Man City's ten- got 120 charges still coming <laughs> or whatever. Yeah, take away their title last season, give it a second place. Um, so you have... Everton, they're 10 points, 10 points. But then you go, oh, no, nah, maybe six. Well, you can't have a middle ground with this. Yeah. Either, either they're guilty or they're not. But how can, 
Six yeah, well, their, their, their problem, I actually read some of their stuff for their problems. They created and bought, I think it was steel or something out of Ukraine. Ukraine war happens, costs goes ah. through the roof. So they've been bitten that way. They also got ownership, I think, was looking to sell, couldn't sell, want to cut back costs so it looks more appealable. Um, obviously, um, they stayed up last year when they were in relegation fight, and now this is the case. But oh, I think if common sense prevails, well, let things fly. Um, it, it does say, it, yes, they've spent more on what they've done, but geez, this looks on the minor side for what other teams are doing. Yeah, and you consider what Barcelona's now got in the situation where they couldn't re-sign Messi, and now I think they need to shed another, I think it was a number between 50 and 70 million off their payroll. Yeah. Like, going forward. So they've gone from a super powerhouse to now, you know, effectively living by the, 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 no, you can't say the oily rag because they still put, spend a fortune, but in terms of what they did and where they are and the size of their club, they've got building new stadium. They've got some massive um, restrictions on them, That's but fine. no worse than uh, major league uh, uniform controversy. How good's this yeah, manufacturers? This is, uh... So they've all gone to Nike, right? Mm-hmm. The problem is the pants are see-through. <laughs> That's nuts. Right. And every time there's PR games between the Major League Baseball and Nike trying to make out it's not an issue, this is a statement. We always put our athletes at the centre of everything that we do, Nike said. We work close with the Major League players, uh, players teams, uh, and the league to create the most advanced uniforms in history. We are lighter. They're more flexible. The quality and performance of our products is the utmost importance. Uh, we will continue to work with the Major League Baseball, the players, our manufacturing partners to address the issue. Yeah, the problem is, yeah, what's that? Players don't give a shit if it's super light, super great, super this, if it's super see-through. Yeah. So <laughs> this is the bit that I find funny. There is a Major League Players Association executive director, Tony Clark, has reiterated Thursday that the uniform issue is particularly the see-through pants. It's the top of mind amongst the union's membership, which means every player, right? <laughs> it's disappointing that every time we've landed in this place with the uniforms at the topic of the discussion, it's been an ongoing conversation where each day has yielded something new that doesn't seem to make sense as you would like. The universal concern is the pant. <laughs> Swing and this a miss, absolutely. This... Even DraftKings um, personality, uh, Jared Carabas, I think, went even further posting on X. Every time I see the backlash addressed, all Nike and Major League Baseball do is talk about how light and flexible the jerseys are. They keep ignoring the whole letters looking stupid and being able to see everyone's testicles thing. <laughs> I like I like how the first point it's, he's addressed hey, in that sentence. Like the letters. Like, no, no, don't look there. Don't look there. Look up here. Look up here. Hey, look at the top. <laughs> the top fits good. Don't worry about it. You can see everything underneath. Oh, good Lord. Yep. So how's this? The players are taking the matter into their own hands, Hutto. Oh, God. Here we silent, go. Silent protest. They've been wearing pants from last year at spring training. So no one gets to see their bits. That is one of the strangest stories. Like, surely, like, I, I don't know how how it has to come to negotiations with this, but the players' bits and bobs are on show. Surely that's you've got to fix that. Hey, and it gets worse. Not oh, all okay. Major League Baseball's 30 teams have received their full allotment of the C3 pants. Oh, my God. And because of that, the Padres wore last year's pants on Thursday in their league opener against the Dodgers. <laughs> what sort of trip <sighs> raffle are they running? 
That is that, that's shambles. That is. Mate, in Australia, we crack up when the AFL has a bad class jumper. Or the oh. umpires are wearing the same colour as someone else. Yeah, literally. Yeah, imagine but... if one of an AFL team got the white shorts trick and you could just see all the way through. I think there'd be a... And clearly uh... you wear underwear. But yeah. maybe, maybe baseballs don't wear underwear. I don't know. They wear uh, a box. Pro- I know that. Probably, it's probably a certain player who played in the 80s for both Brisbane and Sydney who'd probably be very happy with those Warwick shorts. Kappa. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the whiz. Love it. He would have loved that. We're finished with this uh, absolutely bizarre story, and it's always involving either Messi or Ronaldo on this podcast, we realise. Cristiano Ronaldo is, uh, is under investigation. Uh, appears to have mimicked a sex act during his uh, team's win in the uh, Saudi Pro League on Monday. Um, about nine wins in a row with a 3-2 victory. He scored his pen, but his actions after the final whistle that caused a stir. So what so, happened? So he's getting heckled, messy, messy, messy by some people, saying Messi's greater. Yeah. And what did he do? Um, he is... Done an, an obscene gesture, but it seems to have been uh, pointing towards his uh, genital region and indicating a certain size. So it, it, it's absolutely bizarre energy from Ronaldo. <laughs> it's absolutely wow. bizarre energy. Um, but yeah, so they would, um, Al Shabab supporters were chanting Messi to get under Ronaldo's skin, and it seems like it sort of worked because he got a bit, a bit shirty. Got more he, than they bargained for. Yes, um, well, I think he's half a half a million pounds a week will get him out of it, whatever fine it is. He's had some weird investigations recently, uh, Ronnie. <laughs> he's, he's uh, been... Well, between see-through pants and yeah, Ronaldo's uh... mocked, um, mocked masturbating at fans. It's yeah, <laughs> what the, a, world what... is, the world in sport is a very different place. What a way to end. But, yeah, thanks for joining us again this week, guys. Uh, Like, subscribe, comment, and we'll um, see you next week. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of The Big Deal. Before you go, don't forget to join our community by subscribing for free at www.thebigdeal.au and get a weekly email bringing together the hottest sports deals, breaking sports biz news as it happens, and much more. Join me at www.thebigdeal.au.